stress may be common, it's not normal, and it's not healthy. So don't neglect your own self-care and stress reduction. When you do, it's more valuable pretty much than anything else. Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 685. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton. Today, I am just going to jump right in to introducing our guest, Dr. Elizabeth Hughes. And I am so excited about this conversation because we're going to be talking about stress, fatigue, how we need to be taking care of ourselves, and so much more. But before I throw the mic over to Elizabeth, I want you to go back. If this is your first episode, I want you to go back to listen to number episode number five. There will be a link in the show notes, which you can find at thekimsutton.com forward slash pp685. Episode number five was actually titled, Sleep and Why I Would Rather You Do It Than Listen to Me. I have been through two major cycles of sleep deprivation in my various entrepreneurial journeys. The first major cycle was in 2008 when I was actually admitted to the mental hospital due to sleep deprivation and not taking care of myself. And the second was in 2016, just prior to the Positive Productivity Podcast launching. I was suicidal. I nearly gave up it all. Because for only or for 18 months, I'd only been sleeping two to three hours a night because I was on a mad quest to achieve everybody else's successes, and I had forgotten what my own looked like. I thought it was all about money. I didn't think about all the other facets of happiness, of which money is not even on my radar anymore. I just want my bills to get paid. So if you have not yet listened to that episode, please go back and listen to it. But if you are severely exhausted right now, just pause this, go to sleep, and come back later. That is so much more important. But with all that said, Elizabeth, I am so happy you are here. Oh, I'm, I'm so happy to be here. And I love the idea of talking about the importance of sleep. Yeah, let, we can start there if you want. <laughs> oh, please. I need to tell you, there was a time in my business, like 2015, 2016, that I was trying to develop a sleep schedule where I would work for four hours, take a half hour nap, work for four hours, take a half hour nap. And that's all I would do all day long. I had that grand idea. Thankfully, that was just an idea that I never tried to implement, but it would have been better than what I was doing, which was working 20, 22 hours a day for 18 months and then sleeping two to three. That was a disaster. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, you know, I often think, said about this, maybe this is a future blog post for me, is about that there is a war on sleep. You know, you see billboards for Red Bull, you know, Red Bull gives you wings and you have to push and you need a pick me up and you need, you know, some sort of burst of energy. And if you are resting, sleeping, relaxing in any way, there's this thought that not only are you not getting, being productive, but that you're somehow, it's worse than that. You're lazy or selfish or something along the lines. And I, I can totally relate because, you know, my name's Elizabeth. And when I was younger, my nickname for myself, anytime I wasn't moving constantly was Lazy Beth. Lazy Beth is here. (laughs) Make Lazy Beth go away. And I was like, that was crazy. But I think so many of us are just taught, schooled, shown by example that sleep isn't important, which is ridiculous because that is the time when your body repairs itself. That's the time when your body is replacing cells, it's rebuilding structures, making new proteins. All of those essential things happen during sleep. I mean, they happen all the time, but sleep is this prime, prime time when your body is working really hard while you're relaxing. So it's, it is productive. You can look mm-hmm. at it as it's productivity in a different way, renewing yourself, which you have to do. Elizabeth, I majored in interior architect and I was an interior architect slash designer for a decade after college. And I 
remember, I mean, we had our major studio class, which is like the big one. We had it two days a week, Mondays and Thursdays. And often what would happen was that on Mondays, our professors were still revising or giving us feedback on our projects. And we knew better than to ignore the feedback because if we did not incorporate their feedback in, then we would hear about it on at our final critique for that project on Thursday. So yes, three days later, we had to have that done. But in between, we would have other classes. Many of us worked as well. And I remember from those days, fueling myself with Mountain Dew all through the night for two nights straight, working full time during the day. And by the time the critique happened on Thursday, my heart was beating out of my chest. I would have classmates who were sleeping in the chairs, even though they're supposed to be giving feedback. And it's like, hello, right? how is this safe? Every single project, at least one of my classmates or my, no, not myself. I don't think I ever went to the hospital for cutting myself. <laughs> I it was like a disaster with an exacto knife waiting to happen as we were building our models. Oh yeah, absolutely. So architecture students, doctors, like yes. it's insanity to me. How are we doing anything good for ourselves or civilization when we're running ourselves into the ground with exhaustion? Right, right. And it's funny you mention architecture because I do remember the architecture building in college was lit up 24-7. There was mm. always somebody in there. I was like, wow. You know, I thought Science majors were crazy, but that was that was it. Yeah, so this is a good question. We we forget that our brains literally need that downtime to replenish themselves and think clearly and creatively. And when you rest, you actually are able to integrate that feedback, let's say, or the new idea or the new you know, whatever it is that you're doing, you're able to integrate it and make it so that when you're awake, you're more efficient and effective. I found that I'm also more confident and I see the value in myself more when I'm rested. And yeah. when this episode goes out, it will have been about a year since this appointment, but maybe two years ago from when we were recording, I met this fabulous doctor in my town who is just my internal medicine doctor, but he was brand new to me. And he came in and he sat down and he's like, tell me about yourself. And this was our first appointment. And I was completely shocked because I'm so used to internal medicine doctors running in. What do you need? Get out. <laughs> Next patient coming in. But I was sitting there, so I guess just a few months ago, and I was going through a major period of transition in my business where I was working way too hard again. Yes, everybody, this has been a cycle. I've never let it get back to just to the two to three hours a night like I had been. But now I find myself that when I'm only sleeping four to five hours a night, that's a problem for me. And I was finding myself in those periods of anxiety and depression again. And I went into this doctor's appointment and I asked him to prescribe me an anti-anxiety medicine. And rather than doing that, he, had, he said to me, tell me what's going on. And at wow. first I was a little annoyed. <laughs> I'm just going to be totally honest. Just give me my pill and let me yeah, go. Yeah, exactly. I have, a, I have a 20 gazillion mile long to-do list. Just give me the darn medicine. And he's like, tell me what's going on. So I went through and I told him, you know, I'm, I'm leaving a big client relationship that I've had for years. I'm just trying to get it all done. I'm not sleeping very well. He's like, well, how much are you exercising? Uh, what's exercise? <laughs> and so instead of prescribing me anti-anxiety medication, he sent me away with a prescription to exercise 30 minutes a day and sleep. And he said, come back in in three months and let's talk. In full disclosure, that three months, oh, it's been long ago, longer ago than I thought. That three months would have been two months ago. But because I let everything just go through and I slept and I started exercising and I sort of stopped again. Don't tell anybody. I'm I'm okay. Like right. I'm not having the anxiety and depression anymore, but I'm also not sacrificing my sleep to get things done. I thought I always had to be, I totally get the, what did you say? Lazy Beth? Lazy Beth. Yeah. <laughs> I totally get it because if there was a, a way that I could have worked that into Kim, I totally would have done it. If I was sitting still, oh. I mean, even watching Game of Thrones before the series wrapped, I felt like I did. I felt lazy for taking that hour off on Sunday nights. But that was the only time I would give myself all week. 
was an hour. We shouldn't be doing that. Right. Which leads into this other concept that I have about the way we think about health in sort of batches of time. You know, I'm going to exercise for this period of time, and that's going to be my healthy period. And the rest of the time, I'm allowed to run myself ragged. And health doesn't work that way. It really needs to be more integrated into your normal life. So yes, it's good to go exercise and it's good to sleep. But if the rest of the time is spent in frenzied, stressful activity with no other breaks, you know, your scale of stress and repair, stress versus repair is still going to be tripped in that, that toward stress, toward frenzy, toward less healthy lifestyle. Oh my gosh. And not just the scale of stress and re- disrepair, but the, the scale of weight too. I noticed that the I could have been 2019, I was eating significantly less because I was so stressed, but the scale just kept on showing bigger and bigger numbers. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> because the stress hormones and neurotransmitters affect every single solitary cell in your body. Like every cell has receptors for those stress hormones. So people talk about calories are not, you know, a calorie isn't a calorie and they think, well, a calorie of, you know, lean protein is is worse than junky hot dogs or something like that. But it really has everything to do with how your metabolism is set, that you can eat the same things in a situation of stress and gain weight, but the same exact thing when you're not stressed and lose weight. And that's, I think, the world of dieting and diet has a long way to go because we have to really think about the how we eat in addition and why we're eating. (laughs) If you're wolfing down food in a situation, well, I'll be honest, during my internship, working, oh, minimum of 100 hours a week, routinely staying awake for 36 hours at a time and working the whole time. And basically living on graham crackers most of the time, like graham crackers and apple juice was what I would eat for a large portion of the day. I might eat one meal a day and then munch all the time. I ballooned up even though I was barely eating anything, you know, because it was just unhealthy. Isn't that what they provide to patients? Patients? Yeah, I, I had... I. <laughs> Yeah, so I'd go, I'd raid the cabinet, I'd raid the yeah. closet. I'm like, I'm hungry. You know, it's six o'clock at night. I'm not going to get out for dinner. I am going to go eat some of that. Yep. Yep. Oh my gosh. I went through a whole period when just because I was so crazy, and because in those states of craziness, you can't even, you don't even have the clarity to think, oh my gosh, I can order my groceries and just go pick them up. And it would be faster than going through the drive through but it didn't even occur to me. So we would spend so much time and money going through the fast food drive throughs around here. And oh. I interviewed a business coach once from the McDonald's drive through <laughs> Oh my, oh my like, gosh. Look, I am so crazy right now that I, I didn't even have time to pick up dinner. My three kids are in the back seat. This is where I am. Elizabeth, when I went to the mental hospital in 2008, I was working full-time as an interior designer. And the commute was an hour each way, country roads, so no traffic. Then I was also building a e-commerce business. I say um because building isn't really accurate. I was destroying, but let's just say building to make it work. <laughs> so I was doing that every single night. It was the same story, just different decade, getting two hours of sleep a night. When I was admitted into the hospital, it was because I was suicidal. And they took blood work. My thyroid levels were way off. I've, I've had hypothyroidism since birth. But they never asked me a thing about sleep, ever. And instead, they prescribed three different antidepressants. Depressants. They were not presents. And they made me completely numb. And I would have to think that the shutdown of my business that resulted after I left the hospital did more for my health and for my sanity, and for my well-being than those antidepressants ever did. And I'm not going to get into a whole, you know, 
dialogue about the drug industry, but I believe there needs to be a lot more when we see and hear of people who are struggling emotionally or physically and asking them, well, how much are you sleeping? Because just like you and I have already discussed, it's not laziness. It's crucial. Right, right. Oh, absolutely. And there is so much. You are, in a way, very lucky to have had that internal medicine doctor who said, tell me about yourself. Because Mm -hmm. doctors are really literally not trained to ask or even think about these non-pharmaceutical ways that we keep ourselves healthy. That's a whole, it's, it's a huge blind spot in medicine about how much are you sleeping? What's the quality of that sleep? You know, how do you exercise? How do you relax? Do you have fun? Do you laugh? Do you something that's creative? You know, those are things that keep us healthy. And longevity studies about having a purpose shows that that's really the thing. It doesn't matter if you, well, I mean, it matters to an extent if you smoke or drink or have bad genes or things like that, but people who have a purpose and a joy about getting out of bed because, I mean, write down your positive productivity angle, they may not need to, but it's something that feeds their spirit. And that's what keeps you healthy. Amen. Yeah. After I went through that whole transition in 2016, that's when I finally got my purpose. I would actually have to say, yeah, that's when I got it. And that's when I saw it because I realized that everything I was doing contributed to the relief and release of stress. I do marketing and business automation. So I joke about it now, but getting business owners away from their business and back into bed. Some people raise their eyebrow and think I'm thinking (laughs) about sex. Well, yeah, I could be because that's a great stress relief as well. But no, I'm totally talking about sleep. I want to see people sleeping or spending time with their family. In 2018, I ate dinner with my family a whole 10 times. There's seven of us. So there were seven birthdays. Okay. Well, there's twins. So they shared a birthday. That one doesn't count. There were six birthdays and four holidays. I don't know what the four holidays were, but no joke. 10 times I ate dinner with my family because I was running myself into the ground thinking that And this was 2018, so even past the point when I realized what my purpose was, I was still chasing money instead of pursuing my purpose and living into my purpose. Yeah. Well, I have two thoughts on that. First off, that it is amazing that you, because of an illness, found your purpose. And I I really do think that this is a weird thing to say, and and I'll say it anyway, but illness happens for us not Mm -hmm. to us. And if you can take the time to look at it in a different way and find that beautiful fertilizer, even in that muck of of being sick, you're going to find something great and something can grow. And it happened to you. So you're perfect, (laughs) perfect example. But at the same time, it's so easy to get pulled back. It's so easy not to have that, you know, even when you have that realization, I found my purpose. I know where I want to go. It happens so strong. It takes, it takes some work. It takes some, someone keeping you accountable in a way, you know, to keep you on track so that you don't fall back into the habits that you feel like they are comfortable, even though they're not. Mm-hmm. There have been so many nights where I've taken my laptop into the bedroom and I've told my husband, I just need a half hour nap. I just need a half hour nap. And I hear him. I actually borrowed the mm-hmm from him. That's what he'll <laughs> say to me is mm-hmm. But I know that as soon as he, it, I can sleep anywhere. I'm just saying I can sleep anywhere. As soon as he knows that I'm asleep, he'll just turn off the light, pull the laptop and the mouse aside, put them away. And he won't wake me up because he's seen the side effects of sleep deprivation and he doesn't want to see it again. And I'm so appreciative Last night was honestly one of those. I just need to close my eyes and meditate on what I'm working on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like 1030. I felt there was a little piece of me that felt guilty this morning when I woke up. Admittedly, it was 430. My body just wakes up between six and seven hours of sleep afterwards, not at six or seven, but it was 4.30 when I woke up this morning. And I was so wide awake and so refreshed. And I knew exactly 
what I was looking for last night. I could feel it. I could feel the answers. And I jumped right in. And there was that little moment of me when I felt guilty for falling asleep so early last night. But then I was like, nope, you needed that. You needed yeah. that. You wouldn't have yeah. had these ideas if you had gotten up after a half hour. If, if you had had ideas, they probably would have been crap. And then you would be redoing the work this morning anyway. <laughs> right, right. And this brings up a sort of interesting a thought, and I just want to share a little bit of biology around that. Of when we're tired, when we're stressed out, when we get that brain fog feeling. And that is because the sympathetic nervous system, the part of your body that's responsible for flight, fight, push, do, 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 when that's active for a long time, it actually cuts off blood flow to the frontal lobe of your brain, which is our critical thinking, planning, ideas, judgment part of the brain. It actually gets 25% less blood flow. So you really, your blood is, your brain is sort of starving or those really important parts of your brain are starving. So that people will say, oh, I feel so stupid. I can't believe I just can't figure this out. I know it's, it's, you know, I should know how to do this intellectually. It's because your brain just is running on fewer cylinders, really. And if you can, when you rest, then your brain, it keeps processing, it keeps doing its thing while you're sleeping. And that's why you wake up with these ideas, you know, it's sorted out. That is so fascinating. I've noticed that when I get to that point of exhaustion, yeah, I get that brain fog. But then what happens is I get so irritated and I want to kick something. I'm just going to say it. Like my legs feel restless. I literally want to kick something. And that's when I know it's time for it because I don't want to <laughs> kick anything. I am not a violent pe person. I just want everybody to know that I am not a violent person. But when I am super tired, I could be a child having temper tantrums. That and when I'm hungry. You don't want to mess with me when I'm tired or hungry. <laughs> right. Well, that's your fight reflex come in. You got to you got to take that aggressive feeling and again, you're not aggressive, but we all have it within us. You got to let it out in some way and it feels weird. It doesn't feel like you and that's very unpleasant. You know, like so not only am I not thinking clearly, but I'm also acting like a toddler. Who am I? Uh -huh. <laughs> you're just a sleepy person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My husband knows when I'm grouchy. That it's either that, that one day of the month that I get super grouchy like that, or I'm hungry, or I'm tired. Right. So if he knows it's not that one day, he'll ask me, oh, did you eat? And he feeds me, so he'll know if I ate. Because <laughs> I can't cook, I burn. Or when did you get up this morning? Why don't you take a nap? Lay down for a bit. Because he doesn't. Yeah. Grumpy Kim is not normal Kim. And normal Kim annoys some people because she's not grumpy. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, those people are just like not in touch with happiness. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And those people make me grouchy, so I just can't be around them. I right. hate to say it, but come on, be happy, go get a nap, and then let's talk. So, how do you see stress and sleep working together and against each other? Well, so, ooh, wow. That is a good question. And let me, let me formulate an answer because there's a good answer in there. So when you are in stress mode, when your body is being flooded with the stress hormones and neurotransmitters, it is almost impossible to get the restful sleep you need. This is why people who have had traumatic experiences of any sort or people who are living in a, in a state where it is frightening, or I will take um, me, let's say as a doctor, when I was on call, even if I was able to quote unquote sleep, my beeper could go off at any moment. And I was expected to be awake, standing up and, and in control within 30 seconds. So you can never, ever get the productive, deep rest that you need when you're in this state of constant stress. When you do, when you are able to get deep sleep, 
you know, restful, deep sleep for a period of time. And not everybody needs eight hours. That totally true. Some people need more, some people need less. But when you're able to get to that state of deep relaxation, your stress hormones sort of wash out of your body entirely. That can take up to about 90 minutes to just have your body metabolize away all those hormones. And that's when your your parasympathetic or your restore response can turn on and start to rebuild your neuro neural functions or or help you digest your food or whatever it is. So lack of the deep restful sleep really doesn't allow enough time for those stress hormones to wash out and for your body to really start repairing itself and restore its blood flow properly and all of the other wonderful things. I believe it's in my sister's town. I'm in Ohio and my both of my sisters are in New York. I believe in one of my sister's towns, they've actually switched the elementary school starting time with the high school starting time so that the older kids could get more sleep for just that reason. They have so many activities, they're working jobs, that expecting them to get up, you know, hours before the sun comes up and get to school, they decided to the, the flip-flop the two, which at first I was confused by. I mean, I can't imagine getting my littles up and out at that at that late of an hour or at that early of an hour. But knowing what my teenagers go through and what they're doing every day, it makes so much sense now that you've said that. I didn't realize those numbers. Yes. Well, and so I live in Seattle and the school district here did that exact same thing uh, uh, two years ago, I think now. And I have an eighth grader right now who goes to a private school And we've made the decision that he's going to go to public school next year. And part of it is he's going to start an hour later (laughs) than than he would have if he had gone to one of the more, we were looking at a couple different private schools, but time to get up, time to get organized, time to not be rushed and get transportation done in the morning because the schools were all roughly the same distance apart. This makes an enormous difference. It's a difference between leaving the house at, you know, 8.30 in the morning and 7.30 in the morning or earlier. Yeah. So I think it's wonderful. And boy, do teenagers need, need sleep. That frontal lobe that I was talking about earlier is what is coming online during teenage years and young adulthood. And it literally takes time and rest to have that part of your brain wire itself up properly. Absolutely. I have an eighth grader as well. He's doing track and soccer. And I mean, there's not pretty soon there won't be one afternoon of the week that he's home. And then he has, he has the tournaments on the weekends and such, but they right now are having to get up. The other one's a junior this year. The other one's they're having to get up at 5.30 to get the bus at 6.30. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. if they're lucky, they're both home. You know, if there is nothing going on after school, which is rare, they're home at 3.30. So that's right. a whole nine-hour day. And I had to stress with my husband because he wanted them just to get on their chores right away when they got home. Like, um, no, they've been up since 5.30. It's now 10 hours later. They, they can have a break. Or they start their chores. I mean, the last thing we want to do is work for 10 hours and then go straight into a second shift job, which is how I joke about it. You know, being in my business is first shift. And then at the end of the day, that's when I start second shift as mom. Right, right. And this is what so many parents, especially moms, but anybody who's, who's primarily responsible for children or adult parents or, you know, it is a second shift job. And (laughs) you're probably a little like me if I walk in the door, sometimes before the coat comes off, the oven goes on, (laughs) food comes out on the counter, and then I'll be like, oh, yeah, I should take off my coat, shouldn't I? Yep, yep. And I had the crazy idea of signing up to be a Girl Scout troop leader this past year for my kindergarten daughter. And I did that because I wanted to say in what day of the week the, the Girl Scout meetings were. 
Now, if I've had a long-standing history of failing to say the word no. <laughs> Another <laughs> example of that. I could have had a say in what day of the week the troop meetings were without signing up to be a leader, but it didn't occur to my overstressed, overtired brain. So, you know, now I'm going through that, but thankfully I've gone through that now and I won't make the mistake again when I have another kindergartner next year. Just when we're overstressed, when we're overtired, I found that I have a over, I have a, I'm going to make up a word right now, hyper tendency to say yes. When it's the last thing I should be saying, I really should have a zipper over my mouth. <laughs> a yes filter. <laughs> yes. That in order to, and there should be a timer. I get asked a question and the zipper will not let me open it for three seconds until I have a chance to think. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. And then of course you say, well, that's one more thing on my long list of to do's and how am I going to get out of it? And how is I going to like say, how am I going to be able to get myself out of these responsibilities? And it's, it's hard. I mean, it really is. It's difficult. I will tell you that what I did for this was one year I made my New Year's resolution. I don't use a resolution. I usually use a single word or an intention, something short. And one year, my resolution was basically, no. <laughs> like that was, right, that. right. I mean, I just had to say no to certain things. And that was going, it felt totally against type, totally against, you know, to my first, my first response was going to be no. And then I can always backpedal and say, well, yes, maybe I do. You know, maybe that is a good thing. Boy, did that change, that year totally rocked my world. <laughs> wanted to take a quick break from today's episode and ask you if you need to take a break from your business. Maybe you're working too many hours. Maybe you're trying to work on too many things. Maybe you have too many clients who just really aren't aligned with your greater purpose. If this sounds like you, I want to offer you an opportunity to join the Positive Productivity Pod, my monthly mentorship and coaching community. For only a dollar, you can jump in, get started, and enjoy 10 days in the community where you will meet so many awesome entrepreneurs. And then twice a month, you'll be able to hop on a live call with all of us and get the feedback that you need in that very moment for your business. If you're interested in starting today for only a dollar, head on over to thekimsutton.com forward slash pod to get started. So my, I have three words for 2020. They were faith, focus, and family. And when we're recording this, I'm doing a darn good job on the three of those. I don't want to use the word but, but I'm going to use the word but. I'm going to use no for 2021. So just, <laughs> You're welcome. You're it, welcome. It, by keeping my focus on faith, focus, and family, I have been able to say no a lot easier than I ever have in the past. And because I've been saying no, I have not allowed myself to be guilt chipped into saying yes. My no means no. Right. There was I've got other priorities. Time. Yes. Yeah. And Nancy Levin was a, a previous guest on the podcast and she has a book on boundaries. And she was the first person, maybe I just wasn't listening if I heard it said before, but she said, no is a complete sentence. <laughs> I always felt like I had to have an excuse for no, but no, I don't just no. And I've, it's so fun just saying no to my children. And they look at me and they want me to say more so that they can argue with whatever else I say. And it's the same with clients. They're waiting for me to say something else. You know, can you do this for me today? No. And at first, you know, I felt like I wasn't doing my job, but I'm totally doing my job because if I say yes to everybody, then they're not going to get the best of me. And I'm also doing them a disservice because I'm allowing them to wait till the last minute to ask for stuff. <laughs> totally, totally. Mm -hmm. But that idea of giving the best of yourself is, you know, I, I actually like that and I haven't really thought about it. So the, the way you just put that, having those boundaries, whether it's around sleep or around commitments or around time you're going to focus with family, 
that is going to make sure you're going to give the best of you in all ways. You don't have to wear yourself thin in order to give the best. In fact, that's not what's going to do it. No, I find I give like the worst of myself when I'm giving more <laughs> of myself. And I it really pains me to say it because I am all about under-promising and over-delivering. I don't like the expression of under-promising, but on the flip side, what I was doing was over-promising and chronically under-delivering. And that doesn't do anything to help anybody have faith in me and what I promise, including myself. I would tell myself I would do things and then I would just not do it because I was I was over-promising and under-delivering to myself as well. Yeah, sure, you'll get up at tomorrow morning at 4 o'clock and exercise, and then two more months goes by and you still haven't touched it. Well, you stop believing that you're actually going to do what you tell yourself. Right, right. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, letting yourself down. And we are so quick to let ourselves down, and we should be the, the last people that we're letting down. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So tomorrow, as of the date of this recording, and I'm not going to timestamp it with what event I'm going to, tomorrow I'm actually driving from Ohio to Florida for a conference this upcoming weekend. Now that's due to a variety of reasons, but can I just tell you how excited I am? And the reason I'm driving is because I, I waited too long to book my flight and then they just got too astronomical, but it, would have also, it was creating more stress to fly because I had to think about my hotel and all these other factors and, you know, am I going to make my connection and all that? And it's going to be a long drive. It's going to be 14 hours each way. I don't want you to worry about my sleep because as I already admitted, I can sleep anywhere. So I'll just pull over and sleep in parking lots whenever I need to. However, I am so excited to the, my husband's actually jealous. (laughs) He's in my, my 14 year old was joking last night. He says, mom, just your drive is going to be a vacation. You're going to have 14 hours of silence without us. And I just broke out into the biggest smile. Yes, dear. Yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a great way to prepare for a big conference where one, they're always fun, but you can be bombarded. Have that silence before and to to prepare yourself and silence afterwards to Mm -hmm. decompress. Wow. Yeah, I love I, it. I'm an introvert. So having the 14 hours down and the 14 hours back, you know, on either side of a conference with 2,000 people, it's going to be such joy. And yeah, plus, if this is your first episode listening to my dear listener, you know who you are. I drive a 1996 GMC conversion van. Can I just tell you how much I'm looking forward to renting something that's from this decade? <laughs> this century (laughs) exactly i mean my my van that i drive is older than my oldest child it has a tape cassette player inside and no auxiliary port so the fact that i will be able to take my phone into the car and it will be connected via bluetooth and i can write my book if i so choose via siri i don't know if i want to say that right now because my phone's right next to me Right, be a voice a voice automation, right? Yeah, I don't need to worry about anybody's elbows in my sides. I love to fly. But I don't like being constrained by when can I listen to my music and belt out my tunes and listen to my audiobooks and just write, you know, the fact that I'm going to be able to write my book with my voice and not have to worry about somebody peeking over my shoulder to see how many typos I have because I admit that I'm that person who does that sometimes. <laughs> should I tell them that they misspelled that word? I so should not have just admitted that. But I know that that might sound ridiculous to some people that I'm driving 14 hours each way. But the stress that it has taken off of me is amazing. And I, and I encourage everybody to find those little stress hacks. I mean, this is going to be the mom of vacation just in a car. Right, right. Yeah, relaxation does not have to look like, a, you know, a beach with an umbrella drink by any means. It might look like a 14-hour drive belting out show tunes, right? Can we actually talk about that for a second? You said umbrella drink, and that's what my interpretation of a fabulous vacation, my husband and I still haven't taken our honeymoon. We were joking about, you know, 
taking that week long trip to Cancun or something and having, making sure that it was an all inclusive resort so we could keep on getting a nonstop flow of whatever alcoholic drinks we wanted. In the midst of all my stress, I actually gave up alcohol and I haven't had a drink in three months. I am finding that my ability to handle stress has increased without the stress. My sleep has gotten so much better. And while there are still days that I joke about wanting an aquarium-sized margarita, for the most part, I'm over it. Interesting. So in my year of no, I also dropped alcohol just out of the blue. Didn't have, you know, there was no sort of worry about addiction or over drinking or anything like that. I just stopped. I just realized like I don't feel well when I drink. And so I had, I experienced the same thing. Uh, and, you know, occasionally I like would love to have a gin and tonic, you know, so, but, you know, but I just don't because I don't want the, um, the side effects. You were mentioning earlier about the antidepressants making you just numb. I think alcohol has, I mean, it is a neural depressant. I mean, it just is. It suppresses and depresses neural activity. And I don't think that that's healthy because it's probably suppressing some of our good resilience. It's probably suppressing some of the activity of self-repair that we need. You know, this is not an abstinence commercial by any means, but it is an interesting idea. You know, you could, we've got two of us here to say, you know, maybe that's something to try. You know, if you're stressed that you've been reaching for might not actually be helping. I am by no means a lightweight weight wise, but when it came to alcohol, I was a lightweight. I wouldn't consider myself an alcoholic by any means, but all it would take was one drink and I was out for the whole night. So I was giving myself guilt for going to alcohol because I was using it as a way to control the stress of all the, all the extra work I had committed to, but then I would drink and I would pass out for the night. (laughs) And wow. like, yeah, that helps. Genius, Kim. You just knocked yourself out with that, you know, whatever you drank. Mm, go have another. So this is going to this conference this weekend is going to be a whole lot of fun too, because I mean, there will be groups going to bars and I have been one of those groups where in order to curb the introvertedness, I've drank and I'm not so introverted when I drink. And it's going to be fun to be me the whole event and see how I can shine when I'm not under the influence. Wow. I was just tell you, I can feel you shining from a distance right now as you say that. It's, you're going to be awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I just hope I'm not hiding in the corner because I'm scared. <laughs> no. <laughs> I also, I would love to know if you did this during your year of no as well, but maybe you don't drink it. But I've also just this year gave up soda. So I was never a big soda person, and not during the year of no, but the following year, uh, coffee went, which is weird because I live in Seattle, and you know, like it's really hard to throw a stone and not hit a coffee shop here. Mm-hmm. So I don't drink coffee anymore. I just not I'm not dropped caffeine, but the high dose, high octane coffee. And at one point in my life, I was drinking about eight cups a day. That's gone too. Wow. No, that is brave. So I, I was up to two or three coffees a day and then two or three Mountain Dews a day. So I guess that's pretty much equal. Yeah, it's pretty much the same. Yeah. yeah. So I'm down to two cups of coffee and no soda. However, my husband's drinking, you know, he's drinking Dews to make it up for me. <laughs> <laughs> but having that caffeine out of my, that added, because my coffees are, I mean, it's, it's noon, our, my time right now, and my coffee was done an hour ago. So for the rest of the day, I won't be having caffeine. And that has done so much for my sleep as well. I'm, I would say I'm embarrassed to admit, but I'm not embarrassed to admit that there have been many nights in the last month or so where I have fallen asleep at 8, 9 o'clock and not given myself that guilt. I was tired. I needed to sleep. I shouldn't be giving myself guilt to fall asleep. And then, as I already said, you know, I wake up six hours later. So yes, there have been quite a few mornings when I am up at three or four in the morning, 
clients know that I have enough respect for them that I'm not going to text them and email them when I wake up just because I'm awake. (laughs) (laughs) I have some clients that do that to me though. I'm at the gym at, you know, at four o'clock in the morning. I had an idea here. So I've politely asked them not to do that. But it's been amazing though, letting it go, letting myself sleep, letting the stress go. I've seen, and I would love to know if there's a medical reason for this, that with the sleep going up, with the stress going down, with me taking care of myself and saying no, that the raccoon eyes are disappearing. Oh, I definitely think so. I don't know if there is a real medical explanation that I can give you on that. I could make something up, <laughs> but you notice it. I mean, it's it's very clear that 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 goes away. You know, all of those dark, the dark shiners around your eyes that just make you look exhausted. There's something about, maybe there's something about normalizing the blood throw through the head so that it's no longer like, because Mm. those dark circles are very frequently blood vessels close to the surface of the skin that have, have opened up. And so they will look dark, sometimes brownish or purplish underneath the surface of the skin because they're way down deep. I don't know. I could, and I don't know that there's any actual science on it, to be honest with you. But that would be my suspicion is that your body is no longer trying to send blood flow to your head because it's not deprived and it's it's normalized it. That's so fascinating because now that you've said that, I mean, I've noticed, I mean, my my hair was falling out when I was super stressed and I don't think my hair has ever looked healthier either. And it's not falling out like it was before. Please to any listeners who've gone through chemo, like I'm not trying to make a joke, but there were, there were days that I felt like I should have been on chemo or something, just put my hand through my hair and just big chunks of hair falling out because of stress. And it's not, we shouldn't be doing that. (laughs) Period. Right. I feel like we've gone everywhere and well, everywhere, but Elizabeth, what do you do? How do you work? And what is your business about? We've gone everywhere else. (laughs) (laughs) So I work with people who feel like stress is making them sick, where they have an awareness that that's a concern for them. And it doesn't, it can be something like hair falling out. It could be something like digestive problems, but I help people really find the antidote to their stress so they can overcome whatever chronic illness that they're having and have it not, have it not derail them in the future. Learn how to future-proof themselves. Was it until after I started the podcast that I was introduced to the expression adrenal fatigue? Yes. And it amazed me when I heard, you know, this is not an overnight remedy. I mean, going back to my entire architecture school days, we would sleep through the weekend and expect ourselves to be top notch again when we got thrown into the next project, you know, four days later. But it's not like that. You can't just wear yourself to the bone for six months and then sleep for two nights good and expect yourself to be back. Can you speak on that? Oh, and it's absolutely true because it just takes time to rebuild. Maybe I'll back up for just a moment. The number of basic cells that our body needs to replace on a regular basis is tremendous. We lose all of our white blood cells every 10 days. They're just gone. And so you need to rebuild those. And when you're in not sleeping, not resting, not restoring yourself mode. Your body is just scraping by to make the minimum of blood cells, skin cells, uh, you know, repairing muscle, replacing the lining of the intestines and all of those really basic things. So if you're expecting then to also restore something like get your hormones back in balance, get your metabolism back in line, have your liver work properly. You need more time. You need time to let the body regenerate all of that. And it can. It really can. You can regenerate a new liver. Basically, 50 to 100% of your liver regenerates every year. But that's just, it takes just time which is the opposite of what medicine promises. In medicine nowadays says, quick fix, we're going to do this, 10 days, you'll be back on your feet. And 
in general, we're not doing anyone a real favor. When we doctors say that, that's not a realistic expectation. Not that you can't recover from adrenal fatigue or having your hair fall out or, or whatever. It just means that the body works at its own pace and you need to give it that time and understanding. And be happy when you're seeing the little changes that you're, no- for instance, that you're noticing, like, wow, my hair really is staying in better. You know, those things, that, that's moments to celebrate and we forget that. Well, the positive side of my hair, no, I guess I, I'll say it's positive. The positive side of my hair not falling out is that my grays are staying around, but I call them my platinums and I earn them, damn it. <laughs> I still earn them. I am not dyeing my hair. So every time I, I go to an event, and the events are where my friends are, because I mean, I've totally built a community among podcasters and entrepreneurs. We often wind up at the same ones. But every single event, I have more gray hairs. So compared to three years ago, but I'm not going to color it. I earned these babies. So a year ago from when this episode was released, as well as two years ago from when this episode was released, I had those major stress points. And I, maybe this isn't ironic, but in both time periods, I got severe kidney infections. Does stress and lack of sleep lead to a kidney or could it lead to a kidney infection? So, I've yes, but kidney infections any other time in my life. Yeah. So it's more the the immune system is unbelievably sensitive to levels of stress. Mm. That there's a whole variety of things that happen when you're under stress. First off, as I said, your white blood cells, which are your immune system, replace themselves every 10 days. So if you're under enough stress that your body is not able to do that replacement, you'll have effectively an incomplete immune system. It might not show if you look at numbers, like if you do the blood draws and look at it, but the cells that are being produced are sort of quick, just (laughs) quick, but effect, you know, quick facsimiles, let's say, maybe not fully functional. The body under stress reduces very specific type of types of cells that will detect uh, cancer, that will detect viruses, that will protect, detect uh, abnormalities of your own cells that need to be removed. That, that's the process of what's called apoptosis or programmed cell death. That's how stress relates to cancer because cancer really is a lack of the immune system working. But when you are under stress, your immune system just basically doesn't function. It may be there, but it's not working in the same way that it should. And so some people will notice that they've gotten kidney infections. Other people will get colds that they just can't shake. A whole variety of things. People will get, you know, the flu, stomach upset, you know, wounds that don't get better. All of that relies on your immune system to remove abnormal particles, whether it's, you know, a virus or a a bacteria, and your body just can't because the immune system isn't functioning. Hmm. It's so fascinating. I'm actually over here, and I don't know if you can hear it. I hope you can't. I was actually rubbing this one spot on my chin. This is so embarrassing. I can't even admit that I'm, I, I can't believe I'm admitting this. But I also have noticed that in the reduction of stress, I had this one hair that was popping out of my chin that hasn't come back. (laughs) I'm just going to call it, that's reason enough for me to say no to stress. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Because I had to tell a joke with my husband. I was like, okay, if I'm ever unable to take care of myself, you need to make sure that this chin hair is gone because I, I will come back and haunt you forever if you let that thing stay there. And he says, don't worry, I'll take care of it. But it just occurred to me that, I mean, and especially going to this event, I don't want this chin here. And it just occurred to me all together. I haven't had to deal with that sucker in months now. Right. Sucker people, that was, not a, that was not a bad word that you wouldn't want your kids to know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. A kidney infection, though, I mean, I, up until two years ago, I had never had one of those. And that is, that is also something that I would never wish upon everybody. It was the first day I was literally here recording a podcast 
got the most ridiculous chills, could not get warm, spent a day in bed, like just trying to warm up. And then the fever started and the pain started and it was just, bam, what the heck is this? And they just, and I resisted going, even going to the doctor, even after feeling like all of that, because I felt like I had too much to do. But thankfully I had an amazing team who said, get your butt to the doctor. We need you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Take we, care of yourself now yep. or it will be worse. Yep. We will change the password for your email if you do not go to the doctor. I, that's who we all need in our life is that person or that group of people who will make sure that we're doing those things that sometimes we don't want to do, but we definitely have to do. Right. So how did you move? How did you decide this area of medicine? What brought you here? Wow. So it's a combination of personal events and and my personal experience and seeing patients because you know you, you know, doctors again this is one of the things doctors should realize we should learn from our patients as well and not just sort of as a spur to read something more in a journal. So my experience was there was a time when I was just a stressed out mess. Morning to night, I had anxiety all day long, which eventually became panic attacks that would completely sideline me. I couldn't do anything. Along with that, I had some chronic pain in one of my hips that was so bad, no matter what I did. I had weird neurologic tinglings in different fingers, different toes that would come and go. I had started to worry about, you know, do I have multiple sclerosis? I mean, this is what happens. And I was completely fatigued. And I thought, this, this sounds like multiple sclerosis. And this whole variety of symptoms that there was no medical cause for it. You know, I would see a doctor and I'd be perfectly fine. And, they, you know, nobody ever asked me about stress. Nobody ever asked me about, are you getting enough sleep? Are you spending enough time? Because speaking as another doctor, and here's this is a, a biggie, doctors just kind of expect to feel like that. <laughs> you know. And I, w- I would talk with my colleagues, and we all had the same sort of little set of symptoms along those lines. There really wasn't anyone who walked in and said, I feel refreshed and I feel ready to go and I feel perfectly healthy, which is a dirty little secret that I'm telling about the medical profession right now. There's very few doctors who feel really well. So that was, that was my experience. And at the same time, I had so many people asking me about their medical conditions. I'm a dermatologist, and so we wear stress on our skin. I would see people with acne, with eczema, with psoriasis, with hives, with allergies, all asking, well, do you think stress has anything to do with this? And I gave a terrible answer. I was the worst. I would just basically laughed it off and said, well, you know, I can't prescribe Hawaii. (laughs) But which was incredibly demeaning and I feel very badly about it now but it was it was the way that I was trained to think that stress doesn't matter stress doesn't matter to me personally Elizabeth and it doesn't matter to anyone else and these feelings of fatigue and exhaustion and anxiety were just part of being alive and it was when I became really so debilitated that I was running into the point where I was thinking about quitting medicine entirely, that I had to stop and look and say, wait, there's got to be an answer to this. I am smart enough to figure this out. And then I, well, I was actually reading an article in a medical journal over lunch because you can't ever relax. So I was reading an article in a medical journal over lunch about the first case of a condition called Cushing's disease, which is an overproduction of the adrenal hormones, the stress hormones. Mm -hmm. And the very first case of this Cushing's disease, which was about 100 years ago, I think it was 1912, the very first patient had high blood pressure, obesity, and abdominal obesity. She had uh, she couldn't get pregnant. She didn't have a period. She had acne. She had stretch marks. She had thin skin. And I started to say, this is what all of my patients have. This is what I'm experiencing. 
why is nobody putting this together about the fact that these adrenal hormones are now rampant? That this patient who 100 years ago was a rarity is now something that I encounter every day. And that moment sort of clicked for me that this is, this is something that, that the stress has just turned on to a point where that is now a new, a new whole set of conditions that we're, we slid into as medicine, you know, as, as a society, as medicine, we've slid from that's rare to that's common. And that's when I knew I had to make a change because I'm doing more good for people by really focusing on stress and fatigue and all of that chronic preventable illness that is related to the overproduction of of the stress hormones. Mm. Leading into my 2016 meltdown, I got caught up in looking at the successes of all these online entrepreneurs and why why aren't I achieving that? I work just as hard. And then I realized, oh my gosh, it wasn't until after I went through my meltdown that I realized they're only showing part of it. Right. They're not talking about the dirty and the ugly and, and the crap that happens on the other side. So in that moment, I decided I'm like on my podcast, I'm not only going to be talking about what's working because I'll tell you a lot more doesn't work than actually works. And I know that might not sound positive, but it's it's the persistence and the perseverance that keeps it positive because you got to keep going, but give yourself that break. But I realize we're not doing ourselves a favor by pretending everything is perfect. Right. And I so appreciate you admitting that you know that you said that you can't prescribe Hawaii vacations. I mean, that that's huge. And seeing how it all clicked together, that's huge too. So bravo to you. Now, and I'm thinking about the entrepreneurs, including entrepreneurs who listen to the show, all the entrepreneurs that I'm friends with, we're tired. We're tired. I am feeling more refreshed this year than I have in years, but that doesn't mean I'm not tired. I know that my positive attitude, you know, rubs some people the wrong way, but it's going to rub people even, (laughs) even wronger when I can finally say, I feel refreshed all the time and I'm positive, but I, you know, I finally got all this stuff. I don't know if that day will come. I got to be totally honest because I have five kids too and they will always throw something at me. Right. <laughs> you know, I can pray that that day comes and I, I can pray that I rub some people the wrong way and that other people just want to know how to do it themselves. Right. Well, here's what I'll tell you is you can do it and it's within you all the time. I mean, there is this source of calm that you can learn how to tap into in the middle of a mess, in the middle of, you know, kids kids walking into your podcast and, and deadlines. Like, I, I have found that and have found that I am more productive now doing more different things with a schedule that's way fuller than it was when I was being just a regular doctor. There's a spaciousness that opens up and you can get quite a bit done when you learn how to relax and focus at the same time. So you don't have to be sort of a numb person with the umbrella drink that we were talking about. You can have that dynamic focus and athletes athletes talk about it as flow. Well, it's a flow state that, I don't know that I love that term, but it is a state that you can achieve. You, anybody can learn to achieve when you are familiar enough with how it feels in the first place and can then keep capturing it and keep moving your personal compass toward that feeling. I love that. I actually didn't realize they call it flow. I call it my let it go flow, <laughs> right? <laughs> which drives a couple of my kids crazy because they know I'm referring to, you know, frozen, <laughs> but it's let it go. Let it go. Yeah. If I can't do anything about it right now, I'm just not going to, and I'm going to let it go. And I'm going to allow that stress to wait. Right. And I don't mean that I'm going to allow it to weigh, but I'm not going to, I'm just not going to worry about it right now. Right. 
Elizabeth, I have loved every moment of this conversation and I, I appreciate the generosity of your time today and the value that I know you have given to listeners. So thank you so much for joining me. Listeners, I would love to hear the ahas that you've gotten out of this episode. Even if it's a laugh at me, that is totally acceptable. So head on over to thekimsutton.com forward slash PP685 and leave your comments down below the show notes. Did you catch that? I had to be careful about what I said. (laughs) Go back and listen to earlier episodes, listeners, and you'll hear why I had to be careful about what I said right there. Elizabeth, where can listeners learn more about you, connect, get in touch, and all the great awesomeness? Well, they can go to my website, which is my name, ElizabethHughesMD.com. And I have a free stress antidote guide at thestressantidote.com. So either place, love to connect with you. Fabulous. And the links will be in the show notes. So again, go over to thekimsutton.com forward slash PP685. If you're driving, if you're trying not to burn dinner, if you don't want to fall off the elliptical, those links will be waiting for you when you are ready. Elizabeth, <laughs> thank you so much again. This has been an absolute pleasure. Oh, it's been, it's been my pleasure too. This is fun. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can leave with listeners? It's this, that stress may be common. It's not normal and it's not healthy. So don't neglect your own self-care and stress reduction. When you do, it's more valuable pretty much than anything else. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level. (laughs) 